Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills. I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. I hope everyone has been busy working hard with the harmonic and melodic workouts for the key of A-flat major and working on playing a not-so-easy jazz standard T for two. Just a little, little reminder that you have one more week to enjoy the key of A-flat major because next week we begin tackling the key of D-flat major. Yeah, yeah baby, it's going to get fun now, right? We get to the lower side of that circle, D-flat, and G-flat's coming up in B. I can't wait. So next week, the key of A-flat major will be over, right? Over. And there will be no turning back as we move forward forward with, with our harmonic and melodic workouts for the key of D-flat major. But before we do, today, you get to enjoy my interview with Mr. Bob Winters. Although encouraged as a child by his mother to study classical and jazz guitar, Bob was lured away from music by his love of literature. He studied poetry at the University of California, Berkeley, and creative writing at UC Irvine. For 35 years, Bob taught literature and film studies at Whatcom Community College in Washington State. In mid-career, Bob rediscovered his passion for music and began taking classical piano lessons, and later he came over to the right side. Later he turned to jazz. Now retired, Bob devotes several hours a day to studying and playing jazz on his beloved 19, check this out, 1923 Steinway Grand. Man, I got to go out and visit the Pacific Northeast here soon to just play on that instrument. So Bob became a Jazz Piano Skills member last year, and we quickly got to know one another. He is an active participant in the online jazz community where, where I got to know him and where you can reach out to him as well at any time. I am fascinated by his jazz journey, and I know you are about to be fascinated with his journey as well. So last week, I had the privilege of sitting down with Bob, spending a little time with him to talk about his life and to talk about jazz. So now, sit back, relax, and welcome to Jazz Piano Skills, Mr. Bob Winters. Bob Winters. Dr. Lawrence. <laughs> oh, man, please stop. Stop, man. Nice to uh, see man, you, Bob. Oh my gosh, I am so thrilled, you know, because you and I have been talking about doing this for a while, yes. and uh, we have finally connected, we finally made it happen, and I am uh, delighted and I'm thrilled and very, uh, very um, thankful that you have decided to come on Jazz Piano Skills and share your story and share your journey with all the Jazz Piano Skills listeners. Yeah, I hope, I hope uh, that some people can relate to my own experiences, um, even well, as a I bad student. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, they they will. They will certainly. And you know, you know, you've been a you've been a member of Jazz Piano Skills for a while now, and so you know that I like to have um, you know, I have professional musicians, professional pianists come on and and talk and we talk uh, you know, all all about various jazz piano skills, but I got to be honest with you. I I love having students of jazz come on uh, like yourself and sharing your journey and background, because you're right. So many people will, will, and can relate to your, your journey. 
And I've said this before, and you, I know you can appreciate this from an academic background as well, that I, I, tell, I tell students all the time that I learned uh, when I was in graduate school at the University of North Texas, I learned, a, I learned a whole lot in the classroom, but I also learned a whole lot more in the hallways, sure. interact, interacting with colleagues and students and friends. And, and so that, that's what this is in the spirit of, is, is sharing with fellow students um, your journey and your experience so that they can benefit from it as well. Right. And, and I, uh, I, I hope people can appreciate, I'm going to be totally honest about um, my experience here. And, and even when I haven't perhaps um, uh, followed the rules exactly, but I'm willing to confess that because I'm probably <laughs> not the only one. <laughs> you're not. You're not. So, you know what, Bob, let's let's as we always do. I always like to start at the beginning. So share a little bit with uh, the jazz panel skills listeners about your your childhood, your upbringing. Did you come from a musical family? Were your parents musical siblings musical? How did it, how did it all start for you? Well, you know, um, my mother was probably the uh, biggest musical influence on me. Um, she actually played jazz guitar on uh, oh, wow. uh, before she got married on uh, the CBS Radio Hour with Donna Michi. Now this, wow. this was wow. this was back probably in the uh, <laughs> uh, late '30s, early '40s, and of course it was radio, um, right. and so they never saw her because I remember her telling me that most of the band members thought it was very odd for a woman to be playing jazz guitar you know that yeah you don't see that you don't see that often yeah but uh she uh she knew a lot of of the music from the you know swing era from the 30s and and 40s right. and she uh introduced me at a very young age to the guitar and um i i loved the guitar uh playing the guitar but at the time i wanted to be bob dylan I didn't, you know, and and she would play these Charlie Bird and Herb Ellis records oh for me, my gosh. and she'd say, "Now let's let's see if we can learn this." And I thought, "I don't want to learn that. I want to, you know, I want to be right. a rock and roll star." And right. uh, the next Elvis. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I learned enough from her um, basics, um, but I never took formal music lessons from a teacher because she taught me as much as I um, was willing to learn. And of course, like a lot of kids, I, I formed a band and a garage band and had that right. in high school. But I never, uh, I didn't consider that music would be a vocation for me. Uh, right. And once I went off to college, uh, I really didn't um, pursue music at all for many years. Uh, it wasn't until actually when I was about um, in my late 40s, early 50s, that I finally realized I I really missed music. I always kept the guitar around and I kept, mm -hmm. you know, by that time, um, you know, we had inherited from my wife's mother a, a, a up, old upright piano. And I thought, boy, this is my chance if I'm really going to uh, uh, go, you know, return to my love of music. It has to be here. And so I started taking formal lessons. And of course, when you take formal lessons, um, uh, you often wind up with a kind of a classic, um, you right. know, classical right. piano right. lessons. And, 
And I had a very good teacher. Uh, she was very good with adults. She understood, you know, what um, adults would prefer to learn. So but a lot of it was, was performance-based. Um, not a lot of theory, not a lot of, right. Um, right. you know, uh, uh, there was sight reading, but mostly it was on performing pieces. And right. uh, I would play the pieces. We would have these little, what she call them, a bash, you know, she called where, where she'd invite all of her adult students together and she'd buy some wine and we'd sit around and play for each other. Nice. And, and those were great nice. fun. But yeah, when nice. I would go to her house and, and uh, play for my lesson, um, she began to notice that if she didn't turn the page for me, it didn't make any difference. The, what I had done was I had memorized the entire piece. Right. Yeah, and right. I was just playing it by ear. You know? right. And, uh, well, you can't really do that in classical piano. That's, that's right. sort of taboo. And uh, so finally she said, you know, have you ever thought about jazz piano? Um, maybe that would be more up your, um, you know, line. And I thought, <laughs> well, no, I hadn't, but I, I was intrigued by it. So she gave me some books and she uh, pointed me toward a jazz piano teacher who happened yeah, Bob, to live that's a, very yeah, close yeah, to that, the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying, hey, if you're not going to read the music the way it's written, you should go ahead and play jazz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I thought, well, that's, you know, I, I guess I wasn't surprised. That was coming from a dyed-in-the-wool, you know, German classical brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got kicked out is what happened to you, man. I think you didn't. I, think I did, yeah. And <laughs> and it, it kind of um, appealed to my rebellious streak, and I thought, you know, well— why not? You know, I, I could do that. So then I, I took um, about a year of jazz piano lessons. I'm not sure I learned that much. And then life got in the way and I right. kind of gave it up for a while. But when, once I retired, I thought, um, you know, this is my chance to really get serious about it. And that's I, I did um, try some other online teaching methods. And yeah. You know, one thing that I really appreciate about uh, your your uh, platform and your approach is that too many times what I was really being taught was licks. Like, oh, yeah, you right. know, it, if you know this one lick, you'll master every song, you know, or right. learn this one chord and you'll play thousands of songs. And, and right. I always thought, well, that just sounds like shortcuts. I want to really learn the piano. And yeah. uh, and that's what I found in, in your lessons, that it took me right back to um, some real basics, which I needed. And uh, but but it did it in a way that I was always building on what I had just learned. So um, yeah. I, I really appreciated that. And that's where I think my real learning has has come. Wow. So uh, so share with everyone your professional background. Well, I uh, I. Uh, I took uh, a couple of degrees from the University of California. I went to Berkeley and, and mostly uh -huh. uh, studied English. And, um, and then uh, when I got my first teaching job, uh, I, uh, I, I taught English, of course, but they wanted me to teach a film class. And at that time, film classes were usually taught through the English department. 
There was no such okay. thing as a film studies department, at least not around here. And uh, so uh, I'm, I uh, developed a curriculum and I taught film for, uh, first of all, English and film and literature and film. And then just in my last years before I retired, I just taught film because I was also working as a college administrator. Right. Uh, what school? What school was this by? Um, it's uh, at Watkin. It's up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's just a very small school. Oh, quite wonderful. And and you were there for how many years? <laughs> I was there for 34 <laughs> years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, well, you know, when I came um, to Watkin, it was one of these experimental colleges, like a college right. without walls. You may remember those from the 60s. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and that just appealed to me, you know. It, I thought, yeah, you know, it's kind of like guerrilla teaching. I can, <laughs> I'll, I'll go out and find the students, and I'll teach them something, and you know, <laughs> and to heck with the low salary and the lousy, right. you know, lousy right. conditions right. of the buildings. And um, but then eventually, of course, the college, as it got more students, kind of developed into a typical. Um, really kind of a junior college and right. uh, um, and it became very sort of respectable um, which I always felt was kind of sad because I kind of liked the guerrilla teaching idea you know? <laughs> See, yeah you got that rebel side going yeah on, yeah yeah so uh, okay so well for your mom must have your mom uh, must be thrilled, you know, wherever she is, she must be thrilled that you're like doing jazz now as a jazz guitarist. Right? Finally, it sunk in, you know, she yeah. would, um, she was, uh, very excited. Now this is in the early sixties, but she was very excited about the, uh, um, the emergence of bossa nova and, oh, right. and she would right. play bossa nova on the guitar and she would try to teach me. Mm. And, um, at that time, it was still relatively new in the U.S. Right. and right. Uh, and it, but it was very, it was very uh, trendy. It was very hip, and uh, right. so it, it developed a, a kind of fondness for that as well. So um, uh, that that was kind of an interesting um, mm. influence. But mostly, she she taught me respect for those, you know, the American Songbook, you know, those oh, yeah. old songs. Yeah. Yeah, which, famous, which in yeah. jazz become new songs. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's a great way to put it. You know, okay, so I'm interested. Uh, you may have mentioned it, but uh, so your mom being a a jazz guitarist, but now here you are and, you know, pursuing jazz piano. Why, why the tilt toward piano as opposed to guitar? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I, uh, um, I think while I was playing the guitar, I always longed to, to play the piano. I'm not sure what the attraction was. Uh, it may mm -hmm. be something as simple as there's so much richness and possibility on the piano Correct. Um, yeah. that it becomes kind of, in, in a small way, it kind of becomes its own orchestra. Um, no doubt about it. Right. And uh, and that really appealed to me. But my, I have to say my parents, um, you know, they were not... Um, wealthy people. They did not. Uh, we did not have a piano in the house. Uh, the only piano uh, I could get my hands on was at a neighbor's house, and they had four kids studying the piano. So I never, I never got to, 
to approach it very often. But I always right. longed to do that. I always loved piano music. Um, and uh, so that's what drew me to the piano. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so here you are. You're retired now. Right. Retired. And uh, you have the time to devote to the study of music and the study of jazz, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I think I can't think of any better way to spend retirement, <laughs> quite honestly. I agree. <laughs> right. When people tell me, I just, uh, when people tell me, well, if I'm, um, you know, when I retire, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I look at them like, well, Maybe it's because you, you know, you haven't found anything you're passionate about, you know, right. if, uh, and, and so right. it has really given me, um, a gr great richness and enjoyment in my retirement. Right. Well, you know, yeah, because the study of jazz and the study of piano and music, you know, it's such a, it's, you know, it's such a great intellectual exercise as well. Right. It I, is. You know, I know I know the emotional and the music side and the playing and performing, that's great. But there, a lot of times what people don't realize is there's a fabulous uh, intellectual side to this study that is like a fascinating, huge, gigantic jigsaw puzzle, and you're putting these pieces together and, and making it all make sense and connect to one another. So now that you've gotten back into it, you've, you've mentioned a little bit about some of the you know, frustration that you had with, you know, a lot of times there's, it seems like a, you know, when, when, when somebody sets out to study jazz, now we live in information overload, right? Where you can get all kinds of information all over the place. Uh, and right. I know, I know it's a shock to a lot of people out there that, you know, everything that you read or find on Google or YouTube is not actually accurate. I, I know that's a stunner um, for a lot of folks, but, but the reality of it is, there is a lot of information out there, and, and and it can kind of be overwhelming, quite honestly. And so, so talk a little bit about talk a little bit about a, a little bit more about the frustrations that you've had getting back into it, and uh, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're doing to circumvent that and and to and to move forward. Right. Well, um, like I said, I had uh, I had turned to the uh, to the internet lessons, especially, um, you know, once COVID hit. Um, right. But um, you're right, there's so much out there, there's hundreds of, of sites, and, you know, YouTube is full of videos. And it right. felt like I was just sort of at some smorgasbord, and I was picking up, you know, little bits and pieces of each thing. And it wasn't really coming together for me in a way that, um, that wouldn't, would make sense so I could build on one thing. So for a while I was uh, pursuing a, a blues piano and then, uh, and then for right. a while I was pursuing, you know, something else. And then, um, and then I would get kind of lost in voicings for a little bit. And, and when I first joined up with uh, jazz piano skills, um, one of the things I appreciated the vast amount of information you have, but I, I remember writing to you and saying, well, is there some way that I can, you know, form this into a curriculum of some kind? And, uh, and then you suggested um, that I try the courses. Um, right. And that really, that really then took off because I started at the beginning of those and worked through those. And, uh, and I really loved the way in which, um, you know, you had, like I've said, you, you kind of build one on the other. So at the right. same time, 
um, I, as I was learning uh, skills, I was also kind of trying to put those skills into practice by learning pieces and, uh, and, you know, working, working what I was learning in the, in the theory and in the um, more technical aspects to the pieces themselves. And uh, I, I think that was a real key for me because otherwise it's kind of like a shotgun you know, right. <laughs> pieces all over the place and you can't right. really, uh, you know, you can't really bring it all together. And, um, and I think, I think that the courses were the key for me. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's so nice to hear too. So, you know, um, it's funny, right? We say the study of jazz, but you know what I like, I tell students all the time that, you know, especially students that I'm working with here one-on-one here at the school, I always say, you know, I know we say we're studying jazz piano, but, but, really but really we're studying music and we're looking at it through the lens of jazz Mm -hmm. but but you know being able to understand uh the the harmonic structure of music how that how that's put together the keys the chord scale relationships these are things that exist in music regardless of the genre right? right whether it's classical music or jazz music or rock music i mean it's the same 12 notes regardless of the genre right. of music that we're, that we're playing, right? So I always like to try to approach it with students that, you know, um, I, I, we're going to study music together. And and if we're going to put a jazz a jazz bent on it, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's 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 wonderful. But but you know, just to, to understand, I think first conceptually how music is structured and put together is the key to actually moving forward mm-hmm. in jazz because if you try to start with improvisation or you try to jump into voicings and you try to jump into, you know, altered scales and, and, and you don't have a, a conceptual understanding of the, the, the harmonic structure and how music is put together just on a general basis, you're already behind the eight ball. You're already setting yourself up for failure. Would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, I, I had the distinct feeling as I was, you know, I'd see something interesting um, such as uh, maybe studying intervals or or something right. uh, like voicing, but I kept feeling like I was running in. You know, I would travel that path for a little bit and then run into a dead end, and right. and so I kept doing that kind of dead ending. I couldn't I couldn't see the um, right. the path forward, and uh, so that has been yeah that's been really key for me, and uh, right. yeah, and also you know. For jazz, I think jazz, there's something, there is something, a, a kind of internal rebelliousness about jazz, how it, it kind of pushes on the edges of things. And, you know, the fact that, you know, people were shocked when bebop came along and they said, well, that's not right. jazz. And then, right. sure enough, it was jazz. And, yeah, right. and certainly some experimental stuff uh, to this day um, where, um uh, you know, it, it just seems to be constantly pushing the boundaries. And there's something about that in, internal rebelliousness about jazz that I that I find suits my, uh, you know, rebellious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I think I think it's wonderful. It's it's like this. Uh, I find I, I agree with you. It's like this. This if you had the curiosity of a child always wanting to get into something yeah. and and kind of see how something works or, yeah. you know, bend the rules a little bit, you know, uh, well, just, see jazz is good. just see what happens yeah, and, when you bend the rules. You know? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, um, 
I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, that's, you know, there's always, uh, and you know what's fascinating? You're bending the rules with the same tools. Yeah. Right? Right. That's that's what's that's what's uh, that's what I find to be fascinating. You know, like you mentioned voicings, right? How, you know, when you study voicings, you can you can look at a voicing one way and it's, uh, you know, it's a C major seven chord. But you look at that same voicing another way and, and it's an E minor chord right. or you look at it another way and it's an A minor chord and you look at it another way. Right. And all of a sudden it, it's kind of like this chameleon. It changes depending upon how you're looking at it right so it's 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 i i always describe it to students i like you know you know that uh you know that that image of like two faces looking at yes. each other but if you look at it one way it's a vase right. and if you look at it, it's a it's another way it's, right. it's two faces you know that's kind of how jazz is you know you, if you look at it one way you, you you can see one image if you look at it another way you see a totally different image when i when i first ran into that i uh that the fact that a chord can be, you know, um, can be seen in so many different ways. I kind of panicked, you know, that, <laughs> right. that kind of feeling that, that, you know, well, well, what is it then? You know, is it an E minor or is it a C major seven? I mean, it has to be one thing. It can't be all those things. Yeah, and, can I, it's impossible, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then when, um, I came to the realization that yes, it could. I, I felt that the ground had sort of shaken under me a little bit. And once, but once I got my feet back and I realized, no, this is the beauty of it. It's not, it's not a right. flaw. It's a, it's part of the beauty of voicings and, and context and melody uh, that, you know, these things can work in different ways, depending on how you approach them. I, I, I really began to to appreciate that, and and I I stopped panicking. <laughs> Good, but that's excellent. Yeah. So you know, okay. So when you studied, I'm curious. Um, how, before joining jazz piano skills, mm -hmm. uh, how how comfortable were you with basic chords and chord construction? Uh, I I basically um, I knew block chords. Um, and, like the root third five seven right. kind of configuration. Yeah, right? I um and and uh, maybe even some you know I think I must have learned the three note um, block chords. Shells. Shells. Like shells. Yeah, but but yeah. not not uh, not as elegant as the um, traditional and contemporary shells that that I've studied in jazz piano skills. But real basic root bound, you know. Um, a root mm. and a third and a you know a fifth. Right. That was it. Right. But uh, right. Uh, the uh, and and I had you know I was always a terrible reader of music. So um, I, that that was probably why I I insisted on memorizing all the classical pieces because I frankly was such a terrible reader that I couldn't mm. follow it. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that you're. Your uh, your system, your pedagogy has offered um, alternatives to that. It's it's certainly necessary to read them, but um, those like the sixty um, essential chords. But right. um, but you also offer visual impressions of that too, which to be honest, I think is really useful for me. I can read much better now than I could, you know, a couple of years ago, but. Um, but I like the visual yeah. image. I still rely on that. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and that's because, you know, I, uh, and I think I think you would agree with this, right? That I, I, I tell students all, you know, look, a student will say to me they want to study music. And I always say to them, that's fabulous. Then then to please tell me what what is music the study of? <laughs> that's a good and, question. Right. And they and they immediately sit back, you know, it, it, with panic on their face because they're not capable of answering what music is the study of. But yet they want to study it. And I go, see, so I said, don't you think we should actually define what, what music is the study of so that we make sure we're on the same page here, right? And, and so I, I go from there to explain to them that music is not the study of dots and buttons like we're traditionally taught, you know, that we look at a piece of music, that dot means push that button and that dot right. means push that button. That really ultimately, and even for great classical musicians, this is the same, uh, as it is for jazz musicians, uh, ultimately music is the study of shapes and sounds. That's what music is, right? Yeah, Harmony, the, every, right? Everything's a shape. Whether you're playing that shape harmonically or whether you're playing that shape melodically, there's a shape to it, and then and then there's a sound to that shape. Is it major? Is it dominant? Is it minor? Half diminished? What is that? Right? What am I hearing? And once you start, actually, I think. Um, approaching music from that understanding that it's the study of shapes and sound and then your practicing and your study of it is illuminating that fact mm -hmm. don't you find that that's when you actually start to move forward as Absolutely. opposed to as opposed to it just being a dot button kind of relationship right well i kind of felt that's what i had um that's kind of what i felt i had fallen into in studying classical piano um right because you know there was um there was an assumption uh, that my teacher made that most adult learners don't really want to be burdened with a lot of theory and a lot of, you know, abstract, you know, musicology. Um, what they want is to be able to play, you know, at a dinner party or something or play a piece for right. someone. That's right. And, That's exactly right. And I think she's probably right about that. But I think I was... You know, to be honest, I, I was less interested in playing the piece and more interested in how it was put together and, you know, the structures of it. So I I did. I loved Bach and I still do to this day. Um, I think Bach is uh, is brilliant. And, you know, the deeper you look into it, the more you appreciate that that architecture um, right. and sounds right. and shapes. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it is. It is uh, much more the sounds and shapes than than just being able to follow the dots, as it were. Yeah, and in fact, it, what's interesting, I, I I would go as far as the, to say to classical lovers that I would say to them, study jazz, and you'll be a better classical player. And and and, and the reason the reason being is because you'll start to actually see the relationships of all those notes, what you're actually playing as opposed to just seeing one dot go into another mm -hmm. dot, go into another dot. Right. And, and actually understanding music from a jazz perspective, how a jazz musician looks at a piece of music, uh, only benefits the, the classical piano player. Yeah. In fact, I, and I say that out of personal experience, my classical piano playing became much better after I studied jazz. <laughs> that's, that's I, haven't, I haven't looked back since I started studying jazz, but if I ever do, it may come as a surprise to my teacher. Um, but right. yeah, the, well, you know, uh, one of the things uh, that 
I also uh, really appreciate is the uh, um, the the Saturday standards. Um, oh yes, you know I I have to say one of the things as a film teacher that I I worked on for thirty years um, was trying to get students to recognize that older is not bad and that newer is not better, and so. You know, I would show them, I would teach a history of film class, and I would, for the first two-thirds of the class, we probably saw nothing in color. Everything was in black and white. These were classic yeah. movies. And my students would say, well, when are we going to get to the good stuff, you know, the color movie? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I just showed you some of the most brilliant filmmaking, you know. Um, it's not like, you know, everything oh, old was, was just, you know, in, inadequate and that suddenly now we finally figured out how to, you know, how to make movies. And, and, uh, but I, I think that something similar happens, um, in jazz where, where, you know, like one of the, one of the Saturday standards, um, I remember thinking, Oh gosh, I've heard that song a million times. I'm not sure I want to even learn that because, you know, I'm at an old, you know, old song once you actually study it and you get inside of it and you realize there's there are treasures in there there's there's all kinds of gems um you know that that and all kinds of wonderful things to learn from even in the most you know um sort of familiar tune there is if you study it carefully um it has much much to reveal to you and i really no doubt about it yeah, no doubt about it. I, okay, there's so many things I want to comment on based on what you just said with the film. Um, and then also about about these um, old standards and, and really studying it. So let me, let, let's, let me talk about the film stuff first that sure. you just mentioned. Um, you know what's fascinating about that? And, 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 and I'm, I'm curious to see what you think from a film perspective. Um, you know, I've come to realize at, in my journey in my jazz journey and the study of jazz, that uh, the history of jazz actually becomes our, um, our, our blueprint, our curriculum, if you will, the, the course of study that we should pursue. Like when I tell young jazz students, I'm going, you, you want to know, you, you want to know the, the outline of how to study jazz? And, and they go, yes. I go, well, it's pretty simple. It's called the history of jazz. <laughs> That's your outline, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you cannot just you cannot just start to study jazz and jump in at Chick Corea. I mean, right. you just can't you just can't do that. Right. And and by looking at once you understand the history, the evolution of the art form and you start to see how. Uh, like improvisation, for example, was very, uh, very vertical. Uh, you know, uh, the old jazzers would see a C major chord and they would think the notes, well, C, E, G, B. Right. So that they would they would think very vertical, straight up, straight up that chord. So they improvise on that chord and then they'd go to the next chord. And if it was a D minor chord, they'd be, be thinking the notes D, F, A, C, right? As it, it was as if somebody said, hey, let's improvise over this song. And, and somebody in the room said, well, how do you suppose that we do that? 
and and somebody said, well, you got a C chord for the first chord. Why don't you just jack around with the notes C, E, G, and B? <laughs> and then when we go to the next chord, jack around with those notes. And everybody in the room went, everybody in the room went, that sounds like a pretty good idea, right? So you can kind of see how it was vertical. And then, right. you, then you can start to see, if you study jazz, you start to see how that verticalness starts to become more horizontal. And you start to see that there's scale tones that start to creep into the improvisation. And then you, you go on and then non-scale tones. And, and you start to see this evolution that as an aspiring jazz pianist to understand that, to go back and listen to the early jazzers and, and, and kind of study it, like you said, study it and see what's going on. That kind of paves the way for your course of study. Now, I say all that. I'm curious. Would that is that kind of the same in film? Well, like you were just talking about. Yeah, it certainly is because you know the. Uh, uh, I mean, now modern filmmaking is this you know completely um, just unbelievably complicated process that involves an army of technicians and highly trained and and talented people to to make it to make it happen. But you know, I, I when I I look back originally you know, the, the early filmmakers were just one guy or maybe two guys, one to hold the camera and the other to stand in front of it. And, um, and pretty soon they figured out, oh, wait, maybe if we turn the lights up, um, that would be, you know, uh, and so they started opening windows in these old studios because they didn't have, wow. you know, electrical light. And then when electrical right. light came in, I mean, that changed everything. And then once they figured out that they could cut and splice the film, um, suddenly storytelling oh, wow. became a possibility. And But somebody had, and I think this is one of the things I've, I've always loved about old film, is that somebody had to be the one to think up, well, what if we try this? You know, what if we try right. that? Um, and then right. build upon that. And and so it is very much, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of an... Uh, an interesting analogy. I suppose, you know, that, uh, um, you know, as the technology became available, the movies kind of took off more so than with jazz, because in jazz, you, you, uh, the technical possibilities, i.e., you know, the recording possibilities or, or multiple tracks hasn't really right. impacted jazz. It seems in the same way that technology might impact the movies. But as far as figuring out, the basic structure of how how a film is made, um, yeah, it 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 started out, you know, back in the 1890s, and uh, yeah. and continued uh, through, and 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 reached a really um, pivotal point in the late 1930s when um, these great technicians were working with uh, the the uh, technology as it was. And then, you know, um, and then color film came in and my students would say, you know, would say, oh, well, finally, they figured out color. And I, I remind them that there were a lot of filmmakers who didn't move to color because they thought it was a cheap effect, you know, that, right. <laughs> that it was garish. And, and yeah, right. you know, they, they were they were still in tune with the classical um, black and white. So um, I do think that there is that. Uh, that kind of evolution is is similar, but um, or at least I I hope so because I you know I think well, gosh I you know I could have been I should have spent my whole career playing jazz piano, 
Um, but then, but then, you know, I'd be in, you know, doing, I don't know what now, um, I, I might be your competitor, uh, <laughs> you know, right. Oh man. So, you know, uh, the other thing that you mentioned about like, uh, on the Saturday standards that I send out, you know, I like to do the, um, the harmonic DNA, what I call the harmonic DNA of all those pieces, right? The, the, right. the, 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 Rom the Roman numeral analysis, if you will. Right. Um, and like you're saying, like when you go to really study a tune and you really start to get underneath the hood, wh how, what's really happening underneath there? What, how's this harmonic movement what's going on with the harmonic motion and movement of the piece and so forth. You start to, um, you start to discover, uh, all kinds of goodies, you know, that, that you, that you mentioned. And, and one of the things that, one of the things that I think that is, is fascinating with the study of jazz. And I'll tell this story. Um, and I think I may have told it on some podcast episodes. I, I know, I, I know I, I've told it to students many times. In fact, I've probably told it so many times that, that students have heard it, but they've just been really kind not to tell me that you know, you're Bob, you're telling the same story, right. again, but that, you know, but I remember an old jazz musician back home, you know, that I admired so much. And, and, uh, I grew up watching him play and perform and he, uh, could play anything, Bob. I mean, any request that came up to the bandstand, he could play it any key that a vocalist wanted to sing a song and he could play it. Uh, if you didn't know the tune, if you whistled it or sang it, he'd play it. I mean, he could just pl I, what a what a incredible musician he was. And I remember asking him one time. His name was Warren, and I said to him, "I said Warren, um, how is it that you know so many songs? I mean, I've watched you for years, and there's never been a song that has been requested that you have not been able to play. I, I've just am." I just marvel at that. I just, how is it? And, and uh, you know, he was a car mechanic during the day and fabulous jazz musician by night. And so he had these like, he had these greasy little fingers and he always had a little cigar in his <laughs> mouth. And, you know, like if you lined him up with a hundred people and you said, pick out the incredible gifted jazz pianist, he would be the last one out of the hundred that you would pick. <laughs> right. Right. But so when I said to him, I said, how, how do you just, how do you know so many tunes? He took this cigar out of his mouth and he blew the smoke. And he looked at he Bob. He looked at me like I asked him the dumbest question on the face <laughs> of planet Earth. And uh, he said to me, "What are you talking about?" He said, "They're he goes they're all the same." And I went, "What's he talking about? He's he's senile. I mean, what a kook, right? What do you mean they're not all the same? Misty's not the same as I left my heart in San Francisco, which is is not the same as Blue Bossa, which is is not the same as Confirmation. I mean, what what's going on here? What, how could he make such a, a a blasphemous statement as as that, right? Well, now thirty five years later, forty years later, I look back and I marvel at the brilliance." in the depth of which he must understand music to where you can actually look at these tunes and, and, and you hear them in such a way that they're actually all the same, that you under you hear two, five, one motion or three, right. six, two, five, one motion. You, 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 you know, certainly the melodies are not the same, but he's hearing all this underpinning 
that supports these melodies. And, and there's a, like I say, there's a reason why we can't copyright chord, chord changes or chord progressions, right? The, that, that movement that defines music, that, that very essence is shared by all musicians and is found in all of these tunes. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the most um, profound and, and influential bits of advice that I've ever um, gotten uh, actually was from you. It was on. Oh, it was on a. Uh, I. It was something. Uh, I think you were uh, maybe uh, one of the podcasts. But you had said, um, you know, how do you how do you tell the difference between a, a amateur musician and a professional musician? And what you said was that the amateurs move toward greater complication, whereas professionals strive toward greater simplicity, and that has. That has been a real transformational, um, you know, um, enlightenment for me. I, I realized that it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that that you know you you avoid um, you know um, nuance and and um, right. and elegance. It does mean that you see the. I think for me anyway, that you understand the structure, not only what needs to be in the music, but also what doesn't need to be in the music. Um, you know, I, I was for far too long, I was thinking, well, why don't I add some ninths and elevenths and maybe a 13th to this, you know, I'm <laughs> um, thinking, well, that would be really hip if I did that. Yeah. 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 And, and of course the 13th is better than the 11th. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the 11th and the 11th is better than the nine. <laughs> that's right. And uh, it's a bigger number. Yeah. And I, cause I thought, well, that's real jazz. And uh, it basically, you know, that, that sort of punctured that little balloon, which I'm grateful for. Um, to realize, and you know, I was listening to uh, uh, Keith Jarrett uh, in that oh, great album yeah. he made with Charlie Hayden called Jasmine, and right. uh, there's a song on there that uh, that Keith Jarrett um, uh, and and Charlie Hayden play called um, uh, Is it? Um, oh gosh, what's the name of the song? Now I'm now I'm blanking on it. Um, For all we know, I think is the song. Oh right, and right. you know. Jarrett pursues that, at least the, the beginning of it, and really all the way through, in a very simple kind of open um, way. As, as you've said, you described it as leaving lots of air and space in there. Right. And it is so beautiful um, yeah. that he does that. And it's not, it's not easy to emulate. You know, it takes a certain, a great level of skill to be able to, to do that. That kind of simplicity is, I think, what you were talking about. Well, that's exactly right. You know, you're mentioning Keith Jarrett. There's a version I just listened to the other day again of him playing My Wild Irish Rose. First of all, who plays My Wild <laughs> Irish Rose? Yeah. Who's going to do that, right? Not too many jazz musicians I know. And... um here he's playing my wild Irish rose and playing it so simplistic that it's off the charts amazing. Yeah. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh so yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. So yeah, you know, um yeah, we we do strive for I think as you go down the road in your jazz journey, it is a it is a journey of a simplification, right? I, I try to tell students all the time that um if jazz is complicated up here. 
if it's confusing or complicated or fragmented up here, then it's complicated and confusing and fragmented down here in the hands, mm -hmm. right? So we have to get to the point. And students I work with, I go, I have to get you to the point. I have to teach you in such a way that music becomes simple. It's simple. It, it, here. Now, I know there's the physical side of it that you have to actually physically execute. But if it's not simple here, up here, then you have zero chance of getting it to work here. Yeah. Yeah. I, if it's simple here, you got a shot here. Yeah. I think it, you know, for, um, for basically, you know, beginner students like, like myself, I think that's such an important lesson because if you don't know, uh, if you don't know that much about jazz, there is this tendency to think, well, the more complicated, it is um, the more, you know, sophisticated I must sound, you know, and right. and I don't think any professional jazz musician, pianist has ever thought that, you know. But, Never, ever. In, in fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, here's another story I tell all the time. My very first transcription that I ever did was a Red Garland uh, solo, uh, A Foggy Day in London Town, mm -hmm. his version of that. And I think it's off his Garland of Red album uh and i started transcribing his solo on foggy day in london town and <clears throat> there's an f major chord and and the notes the notes that he plays is he plays an arpeggio f a c e and uh i stopped the, i stopped the album i said i wrote that down i stopped it and i said that can't be right <laughs> so i moved the needle back i put put it down again and he plays, I stop, I, I wrote F-A-C-E again. I go, that's just, I said, my ears are horrible. My ears are just awful. There's no way that Red Garland can be on an F major chord, be playing the notes F-A-C-E. Those are the chord tones, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. That's ridiculous. He's not that simple-minded. Right. He cannot be, he cannot be, he plays right. so great, he cannot be playing that. Right. He must know and, better and the, than that. Yeah. Right. He's got, <laughs> he's got to be better than, I've lost all respect for that yeah. guy. You know? And, but the reality of it is that's what he was playing. And the articulation, the touch, the feel, fabulous. Yeah. So much so that I thought it was actually more complicated than it was. Yeah. Isn't that a gift? Well, you know, you, you, I think the way that, um, that, that your lessons, uh, um, particularly in the podcast tunes, where, you know, you might start with um, giving a, a, a basic block chord and then move toward a traditional shells and contemporary shells and two-handed um, voicings. And, you know, uh, you have said before, and I, I really appreciate this, that um, that for a while you played uh, in when you were, you know, just starting to play gigs, you played them all in block chords. Everything. And uh, there's nothing wrong with block chords, just because they may seem more straightforward than a contemporary shell, for example, in, in um, right. you know, fourths, does not mean right. that they're somehow primitive or, you know, unsophisticated. Um, but again, you know, that's the kind of awareness that <laughs> I think, I think uh, you know, beginning jazz students um, need to work toward. They need to understand that, um, that it's okay to play those block chords. Um, play them well and play them with, you know, 
with a good sense of touch and uh, right. they're fine. And I, th I think you there, did a real service to all those beginning students by saying that yeah. you you did nothing but play block chords for a while. Oh, for a long time. Uh, in fact, I, I remember I'd go out and do gigs and the band leader would hand the book <clears throat> the book to me and I'd start looking through the book and the charts. And I can remember, literally, I can remember one night seeing the very first chord I came across. I, I looked at it and it was like a C dominant seven sharp 11. <laughs> And I said to myself, well, not tonight. <laughs> tonight, tonight it's C dominant seven. Yeah. Because I have no idea how to play a sharp 11. Yeah. So tonight it's C dominant seven, yeah. right? Um, I, and, and it's okay. It's yeah. okay. I still do that, actually. Oh, right, right. <laughs> because, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. My, my, uh, I used to play block. Uh, you know, that's how we, in fact, that's how I think every student should learn those blocks uh, first and foremost, because really, Bob, going back to what I was saying earlier, the blocks, I tell students all the time, yes, these are great. These are voicings that you should have under your hands, but whether, whether you realize it or not, they're in an improvisational exercise as well, because it's those shapes, mm -hmm. those shapes that you will use to convert to melody. Yes. Yeah. Right. Those yeah. shapes. Melody will flow from those shapes. So to know those blocks and their inverted shapes is setting you up for improvisation. And that goes back to the history of, of jazz piano. If you go back and look at the early guys soloing and, and playing, you, you will see that, oh, my gosh, there's a, he's improvising off of C major 7 in second inversion. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, right? And you actually see it. On, you see it on the page, yeah. There, right? Yeah. I, so, I think that's a, that's a really valuable skill, which is... Which is why, you know, the, at least when I started following your curriculum, um, the first thing that, that I ran into were the 60 essential chords. And, you know, that suddenly, and I think you've mentioned this, knowing that there are 60 and not 160, that, that was strangely comforting to me. It was like, well, this is not impossible. I can learn 60 chords. I mean, maybe... Maybe I haven't memorized them, but, um, you know, I'd work through them again and again. And after a while, you sort of get the shapes down. And That's you, right. you understand it. Um, speaking of books, yeah. I wanted to show you, I, I do, and I'm sure other students do too. I keep a notebook of uh, all my, oh, all my now it's becoming unwieldy. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm just... At the first leg of my journey, I'm going to need a lot more notebooks, I think. But all so, the materials that you've supplied, um, you know, the uh, in the podcast, the illustrations, the lead sheets, the uh, right. solo, all that stuff, I copy it off. You know, I print it out and I keep it and Fabulous. I go back again and again because, you know, That's there what, is. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there is no shame in going back and looking again at those 60 essential chords. There's no shame in going back and, um, you know, revisiting some of the, um, you know, harmonized scales that, that you, you've offered. And, and I think I had to convince myself that it was okay. You know, you, you're, as a student, you, you're sort of led to believe that if you have to be held back, if you, if you need to go back and study something further, um, 
that you know you should do that quietly and and maybe um, with a little right. bit of shame that you didn't learn it so well. But <laughs> right. I think that's not true in music in jazz. It's not true. You know, it's it, yeah. it really helps to go back. So um, I'm keeping well, it you all. Know, yeah. Oh, I think it's I think that's great, Bob. That's all. You just made my day. Um, but I, uh, you know, it's funny because I I tell I say this to students all the time too. You know. Uh, er, the further I get down the road, the faster I run back to the beginning, the, yeah. you know, because, it, because it's at the beginning I realize is where everything happens. If the, the, the stronger I have those block shapes under my fingers and the understanding of those, being able to play those in my left hand and my right hand, to be able to improvise using those shapes, I just, those fundamentals, become, I run back to them, yeah. right? It's kind of like, you know, uh, a, a few... A couple months ago, I interviewed Bert Ligon, and 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 we were talking on on that podcast episode. We were talking about when you go to spring training, you watch the greatest baseball players in the world, the greatest baseball players at spring training practicing fielding ground balls, and practicing catching pop ups, and practicing making a throw from shortstop to first. And you're going like, wait a minute. I can see this on my little league field. What the heck is, what the heck are these guys practicing this yeah. stuff for? You know, I, I, I want to see something fancy here. They're, they're out there practicing the very fundamentals of the game. Right. right. And, and, and that's what you're getting at. We should not feel ashamed to go back to practice the fundamentals of the game, you know, of playing. And, and of course, every time I do that, I discover something about that, whatever topic, whatever it is, maybe it's a certain kind of voicing or, or, uh, right. you know, something else that I didn't see the first time. I think right. as I, I bring that approach to the podcast too, I, I listen to the podcast, um, usually like three times. So first time I'll just listen to it. Um, right. you know, I, and, and, and I won't approach the piano. The second time I'll, I'll print out the, materials and have that in front of me as I'm listening to it. And the third time I'll listen to it at the piano so I can actually, you know, kind of follow along with what you're doing. And, uh, you know, if that's a slow way to learn, well, I've got all the time in the world. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in any rush. You know what's, you want to know what's funny? It's, it's, it's the slow, it's the fastest slow way you'll ever learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's the fastest slow way right there. That's that's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I will say, and I, I I try to encourage students with this as well. You know that if I if if I um had a a timeline, and on my timeline, uh, somebody asked me to on that timeline to put a push pin on that timeline as the most significant moment that I've experienced in my musical growth as a jazz musician, where would I, where would I put that push pen? Well, I would put that push pen at the very point to where I could play my block chords, their inversions, instinctually, with ease. I could take any lead sheet, I could see that chord symbol, and I could go from chord to chord to chord to chord to chord with little movement, without the hand movement, with the hand moving very little because I'm incorporating all those inversions. Right? right. And I could play a melody over the top of that. Why I, why I kept time in my left hand, like strumming a guitar, like chink, chink, 
chink, chink, and playing a melody over the top of it. When I could do that, and I could go song after song after song after song, that was the most significant moment in my musical development because I knew everything from that moment on was just icing on the cake. And I was so thrilled at that moment. I was so content. I was so happy at that moment that I remember my teacher said to me, Bob, we need to move on. <laughs> and, and I was go, and I was like, not really. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not really. I'm, I'm where I want to be right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy right here. You know, I'm playing a lot of tunes. I'm playing these chords. I got the melody going. It sounded pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy, you know? So I, I think like what you're saying, going back, going back to that beginning. In fact, I would tell students all the time to run back to that beginning like what you're encouraging them to do. Go back to those block shapes because I think I think the key is found within the, that pool of 60 shapes. If you have those, now you have the foundation which to build upon. You know, and, and that's so true um, that uh, I, the idea of, of getting back to um, that basics, that I, I kind of bring that idea um, to, you know, uh, whenever I, I try to play, um, a piece, I always, I, I'm always, um, trying to think about, you know, getting back to the, to the essential core of it and revisiting, you know, the, uh, the basic structure of it, which is, um, the architecture of it, really, trying to understand how the song it's built, um, and not, um, you know, not immediately rushing toward, um, for example, improvisation. I think so many new students are so blown away by great improvising. They hear they hear Bill Evans and they hear Keith Jarrett and they hear right. Chick Corea and right. they think, right. um, oh, that's what I want to do. And they sort of right. skip over the tune so they can do, and you can't, you can't possibly, and you can't possibly do improvisation um, until that tune is deep in your bones. That's exactly right. You know, I've, I've exactly learned right. to learn that and, and kind of temper my um, drive to, uh, to improvise because, you know, improvising is cool and everyone loves it, but you know, the only way you can do it is if you, if you've gone back and learned the tune deeply. That, well, that's right. In fact, I had a teacher that he wouldn't even let me begin to improvise until I could actually play that melody of that tune in my sleep. Yeah. And, 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 the reality of, right, and the reality of it is <clears throat> if you play the melody uh, and you're singing that melody, that in and of itself is improvisational. Yeah. Right. Because you're not you're not reading it off a page. You're, you're interpreting that melody. You're playing that melody, creating a treatment of that melody based on how you're hearing it and, and singing it internally. Uh, uh, and, and that in and of itself is improvisation. And, and you, you shouldn't, you know, in fact, I'll go as far as when I listen to somebody improvise, I can tell you in, 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 in a second how well they know the melody or how well they don't know the melody yeah. based on how they're playing. Yeah. Because if you really know, if you really know the tune, like what you're talking about, that melody can't help but to surface through your improvisation. Yeah. It, uh, uh, it's, it's a hard lesson for, for those who think that, you know, they could just go straight into improvisation and sound like, right. you know, Keith Jarrett or whatever. <laughs> you know? But right, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, with that, with that said, I, I, 
I think that the the learning the block chords and then the and then the um, shells and then the two-handed voicings in and of itself it forces you to play that tune over and over and over again and listen, listening to the vocalists um uh right. sing it and the words of the lyrics themselves sometimes are are you know hidden in the notes themselves of the melody no doubt and you know it i know you always say well just learn it by ear learn the melody by ear and uh you know that that's the best way to do it i have not i'll confess i have not always followed that advice um i know that this will come as a shock to you but uh i have a real book and sometimes <laughs> sometimes i will copy a page out of it um and uh but you know you know the while I've made that confession, I have to say, still, you're right. Until I can sing that to myself in my sleep, that's when I finally be, um, begin to get yeah. that piece. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's, uh, uh, and, and and the truth of the matter is, there's there's an evolution of that process as well. So I would tell, you know, using a real book or a fake book with a melody written in there to kind of help start to guide, to, to kind of jumpstart you in that process of, of learning melodies, of playing tunes. Uh, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. That's how I did it. I mean, that's, I mean, I had, I had fake books and, and I would just go to that fake book, but it wasn't until, and this is what you've been talking about this whole entire hour. It wasn't until I started looking at that melody and I started going, Oh, wait a minute. <clears throat> That's arpeggio motion and that's scale motion mm -hmm. and that melody starting off the third of that of the key or that melody starts off the fifth of the key and and I started actually looking at the melody much deeper than just dots to where now all of a sudden I started to get to the point to where I could learn I could play melodies by ear in fact so much so Bob I, I used to always I got to a point to where I would play melodies and I would go I would say to myself did I know that because I heard it or did I know that because of my analysis, because I analyzed so many melodies that I could analytically get there. Did I, did I get there because of analysis or did I get there because of oral skills? And then I sat back in my chair and I said to myself, well, who cares? I got there. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's, that's the right thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, I guess what I'm saying, it's not an either or, right? It's a both. And right. we, we, we want to have the ear working. We want to have the, uh, the the analytical, the conceptual understanding. We want all that stuff working together to produce. Yeah, I mean, I I can use the uh, the the real book, uh, you know, lead sheet, the melody, just one time through, and then once that melody's in my head, then I can learn it. Um, well, see. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you're on the right. You're on the right path. That's that's part of the journey. That's all. It's all part well, of the journey. I've, so. I've um, you know, I feel I feel your uh, your absolution now that I've confessed and, <laughs> and I forgive you and, and you your pen me. your your penance, Bob. Your penance tonight, though, is you have to learn three standards without <laughs> without any reference to a fake I'm, book. I'm getting there. I'm I'm getting okay. <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. Well, listen, man, you know, here's what's so funny. You know, before you and I got on the on the uh on the internet today and connected with one another, right? You and I went back and forth with a couple emails and you're like like what are we going to talk about, you know, you know, 
and uh, I said, "Hey, man, it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun. We're gonna talk about music and." And I had a whole list of things here that I wanted to get to and talk to you about, but it never fails, right? You get going on this stuff. We, heck, we, dude, we didn't even get two, but we didn't even get down to three of my points. We only got to like two things, you know? Well, yeah. so I have to have you back on at another date to, to, to continue our conversation. Yeah, maybe I'll, uh, uh, well, I, I actually had a list too, and I don't think I got uh, anywhere near it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's jazz oh, for you. <laughs> that's jazz, right? Yeah. yeah, that's jazz. So, um, but no, it's been, you know, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. And I know I'm going to hear such great feedback from all the Jazz Piano Skills listeners, because as you were talking and sharing your your thoughts and, and your journey uh, and your understanding of jazz and the art form, I, 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 could, I could see the collective head shaking across the the country and across the globe of, of people listening yeah. uh, and, and, and sh their head shaking up and down in agreement with you. So uh, you have been without question an inspiration for so many today. And I can't, well, I, well, on behalf you. of all, on behalf of all the listeners, I just want to say thank you, Bob, for taking time out of your, your schedule today to, to join me and to, to share your thoughts. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Well, um, and so just promise me that you'll come back and we'll continue this in the future uh, to, to get maybe through all of our list, that, all, all, this, all the topics that we want to talk about. That's right. I'll have a Love completely have different list by then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. So, Bob, uh, we're going to be broadcasting. This is going to go on Jazz Piano Skills. It's going to go out Tuesday. It's going to be fantastic. Okay. Uh, if anybody uh, has a desire to reach out to you, is that something that they could do uh, via email or anything like that? Absolutely. Yes. I'd love to hear from um, others. One of the things that I, I would love to see in the community, in the online forums, is students talking yes. with each other. It's uh, absolutely because you know, I, I as much as I respect you, I realize we also have things that we can say among ourselves and help each other it, along it the way. It, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of our conversation. I, I learned just as much, if not right. more, in the hallways. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to uh, I want to um, uh, ex uh stress that that as well i want everybody to be encourage everybody to get in the community you're an active participant in that community and uh i would love for folks to get in there and, and interact with you as well that'd be that'd be fantastic sure i'd love to. so um so yeah so reach out to bob go through the jazz piano skills community he's there and uh, if you have any questions for him he'd love to hear from you and and uh and then we'll have we'll have you back on at another time soon bob great 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 talking with you Likewise. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. Sure. Well, I hope you have found this Jazz Piano Skills podcast episode with special guest Bob Winters to be insightful, entertaining, and of course, beneficial. One of my mentors and teachers, Al Franzen, used to say to me after every lesson, never forget, the greatest thing about music is the people you meet through it. And the privilege of meeting and spending time with Bob simply confirms Al's sentiment 100% percent. Don't forget, if you are a Jazz Piano Skills member, I will see you online Thursday evening at the Jazz Piano Skills Masterclass, 8 p.m. Central Time, to discuss this podcast episode featuring Bob Winters in greater detail and, of course, to answer any questions that you may have about the study of jazz in general. 
As always, you can reach me by phone through the Dallas School of Music at 972-380-8050. By email, Dr. Lawrence, drlawrence at jazzpianoskills.com. Or by SpeakPipe, found throughout the Jazz Piano Skills website. Well, there is my cue. That's it for now. And until next week, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the pearls of wisdom shared by Bob Winters. And most of all, have fun as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.